Welcome back to this film not rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, uh, where we try not to rate what we have watched this week. Everyone here is a winner, except the loser, <coughs> me, from last week. But, uh, oh, that's right, Curtis, Curtis, Curtis crashed his way through the gauntlet for the first time. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, either way, is the loser who gets the most points. You can only get points by not using your brain this this uh, time, time around. If you have a subjective opinion, like uh, 30s horror is some of the best horror that I've seen, uh, you'll be can't, you'll be given a chance to justify it as much as possible with as much objective details as possible, and will only get a point if you refuse to justify the subjective opinion. Uh, you can <laughs> you can also get you can also earn points in the official TFNR gauntlet. Uh, which is the series of questions that we ask on one movies, one person to another. This week yeah, I did it. where we try to haze our guests. I mean, try and get people to think more proactively <laughs> about why they like movies. Last week I was the one who had to go through the gauntlet. This week it's going to be Eric's turn to go through that gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, on this show we talk about what we watched in the last week with no concern for spoilers. So, remember that as we uh, turn to the ultimate question, Eric, what did you watch this week uh so i watched not a lot i watched uh knock knock with you which stars keanu reeves Ana de armas and an actress who doesn't get a lot of uh acknowledgement um she was i i believe and i'm double checking this while i do this that she was leonardo DiCaprio's italian wife lorena Izzo, uh in once upon a time in hollywood she shows up right towards the end yep sure enough and uh, she's been in Green Inferno and a couple of other horror movies. But uh, those three uh, lead that one. And I watched Spider-Man 2.1. Because I know everybody's hyped up about... Uh, no Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. Uh, so on top of Knock Knock, which I watched with you, I also watched Dracula 1931. You know, the, the original Dracula. I guess. After Nosferatu. After Nosferatu, but Nosferatu is called Nosferatu, not Dracula. Yeah, but it's based on Dracula. With characters changed up, sure. And Frankenstein, also 1931. Can I just say one thing before we get started? You know what's bothered me my entire life? What's bothered you your entire life? Everyone who thinks they're clever by pointing out that Frankenstein is the name of the doctor, not the monster. (laughs) Do you know why, Curtis? Uh... Would you consider uh, Frankenstein, based on, you know, the, the themes of the book and the story that it's telling, mm. to be just a non-human creation? Or would you consider him to be some sort of messed up offspring of Dr. Frankenstein? I was actually thinking about this while, while watching it. Uh, I, I think it's a mix of both, but you, it, it leans more mm. towards a messed up offspring, if you, have, if you, if you were to ask I mean, me. If when you adopt a child, mm-hmm. there's a difficult situ- decision you have to make. Yeah. Do they keep their family name, or do they take on your name? Frankenstein's the last name of it's... the monster. Frankenstein is the name of both the monster and Frankenstein. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're so like, huh? Ever since like, they are um, actually people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like yes, he's not ever explicitly named. It's like it's not like. It's Frankenstein and David Frankenstein the monster. But <laughs> it kills me that everyone's like... It's still joking about even... It, it's come a point where everyone is picking on people for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. 
But it's always irritated me because Frankenstein is the monster's name if it has one. Anyways, I mean, it could be the name of the guy whose brain you put in it. You can have that argument, but it's definitely not something as simple as just like, is it or isn't? Yeah, it's so dumb. I'm sorry. Anyways. Either way. So, uh, what do you want to start with? Oh, probably Frankenstein. Probably Frankenstein? Let's go. Let's do Frankenstein then. I do want to talk about, like, specifically Boris Karloff and, like, his, the way that he performs the character of Frank Frankenstein, especially, like, when he first, like, wakes up, I guess, is when, when Frankenstein first in- enters the room, he's very, like, I don't know, stiff, kind of, like, barely moving. It's like his, his muscles haven't actually uh, been demortified. Like, like it, 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 it's like he's going like out of rigor mortis. mortis. Yeah. It, it looks like he's going out of rigor. It looks like he's going um, out of rigor mortis. Almost like with the, with the Neo in, in, in the Matrix when he wakes up for the, for, the, for the first time, he has to get his muscles accustomed to moving because they haven't moved in a, in, in a long time, if oh, ever. Oh, like atrophy or rigor exactly. mortis and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. And so it looks like, and as the, as the movie go, goes on, uh, the, the, the monster himself, he gets more and more limber. So there's mm. there there's a lot more articulation. Yeah, as, as, Boris as, Karloff just brought so much to that, to the physicality of that and all that. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it, able to like get get a wide range of emotions as 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 well to like seriously like like undead looking in the in the very beginning and then you like specifically with the scene where where he's uh, with the the little girl. He had this like look of joyful innocence that you don't mm-hmm. see anywhere else in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I also I wonder sometimes though if like the reason that it feels innocent is because you have a contrast with images that we associate with innocence, like the little girl and flowers. And even though the movie's in black and white, they're around greenery and a pond that is not rippling, so it's at quote unquote peace. So. That's another thing about it. so much of of the the character is like the costume design and the lighting and a lot of the expressions that he has. I mean, when they're, oh, yeah. you know, but then like it's kind of a success of collaboration. Yeah, and it's it, this is like this this is still a a horror movie, but like unlike Dracula, which we'll talk about later, uh, the the horror of this movie is it it's and more has to do with like the dangers of of science and, and like playing God. And that's a, a constant theme throughout. Because like when when you when when you first meet Doctor Frank, I'm a I'm a Frankenstein. I I don't know how far into the book this movie starts because I've never read 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 the book. But he he already looks like he's going like slightly mad, trying to get this theory that's in his head down and proven. Well, I don't think the original story has like an arc of him going insane. I think it's more about just his relationship with the idea of creation. You know, like okay. I, I, I'll tell you, there there are big chunks of. There's a staple of of gothic uh, universal horror uh, that things sort of start at a graveyard or start with some reference to like death or gothic architecture or you know something yes. like that. And so, despite the fact that this is probably there's probably more to the story from before Frankenstein started to create the monster. For the most part, I think in terms of trying to take an idea of a story mm-hmm. and do something with it. It's neat that looking at this as a reflection of the time period of what they wanted to take out of a story and show to an audience. And there's there's a lot of, I don't know, I guess I, iconic imagery that comes from this movie too. Like, I, I mean, you have the uh, the the burning windmill at the end of it. 
mm-hmm. which is uh, it goes into like the the like like these 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 overarching themes throughout throughout the movie that involve uh, I, I guess isolation and and like the sense of being like outcast. It's it's what the monster himself is supposed to, mm-hmm. I, I guess, emulate is uh, that character. But then you also have like that 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 scene of of the father of of the girl who gets drowned just walking through the village during a celebration with his dead daughter just like limp and like flailing mm. in his arms and it, it's it's it was uh, i i just remember that being very striking and like unnerving to a very there's a bigger punch from these movies than i expected when i heard about them growing up mm. you know there's a bigger emotional weight to them than it feels like you know just like a an icon that we slap on Halloween things. Yeah. Although you can't, technically, because Universal owns the copyrights to the likenesses that are used in these. Yeah, that's true. Which is why everything looks slightly off. So. Yeah. I mean, we... I could talk about the last one, like like uh like uh like Dwight Fry's performance as 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 later on. I, I, I could probably tie that in with Dwight the Dracula one. Dwight Fry? It kind of... Kind of is... Is... Sci-fi genre... He, like, defines that to me. Okay. Like, between Dracula and Frankenstein and Metropolis, he's, like... It's it's just odd that nobody talks about him. He's a very good, like, a very emotive actor, I, I've yeah. noticed. Like, if, if you, you you go to Dracula and this... Uh, I mean, his name is Fritz in this, but he's basically Igor. Yeah. He's Renfield and Dracula. Yeah. And, and mean, yeah, he's... He's a dick. It? He's very much a dick. He's Fritz the, whole... the character is a dick. Fritz the Fritz the character, from what I've seen, is 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 the whole reason why this Frankenstein, who has the mind of of a deranged person, actually goes on a murderous ram rampage to begin with. Because up up until that point, up 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 until the point where Fritz is like actively tormenting the uh, creature, he's just like wanting to be free. Like, like there's like there's a very specific yeah. scene where he's like reaching towards the sunlight. When he's uh, sitting down for, for 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 the first time, so there's just like this, the, this notion that 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 the creature is like yearning for freedom in a sense. You want me to get a, a little uh, pretentious and hoity-toity for a second? Go ahead. Uh, so the monster's first goal is to reach up into the sky for fire, and then is scared by fire when he comes down to him, and then he is ended by, like he is ended in the sky surrounded by fire. Wow. Let's talk about Knock Knock. I want to talk about Eli Roth. Eli Roth is a horror fanatic. Yes. My impression of him is that he wants to be part of a club that he thinks he's on the... he, He thought he was on the outside of. And so he kept trying to make movies... That he would enjoy, but also low-key could end up becoming horror classics. Right. And then he got a lot of positive attention for Cabin Fever, which has become a cult classic. Mm -hmm. And he sort of leans into that idea of going with stories that have premises that could potentially be a word-of-mouth spread. You know that one movie that's just about that guy who has sex while his wife's out of town and then they torture him to death? Like, what? Like, yeah, they, like, full-on seduce him and then turn on him. It's messed up. Free pizza, you know? Like, like <laughs> and then... Oh, God, that line. That line will never leave my brain. Yeah, I was I was kind of rude in that when I was showing this movie to Curtis, I made pizza on purpose during it. 
I didn't realize that was on purpose. And then uh, I offered him pizza, and we hadn't talked about whether they were hungry. I was like, you shit, it's just free pizza. And, like, they hadn't said it yet, so I was just... You know, I thought it was a... I was like, <laughs> pretty good, yeah. Um, oh, God. So, so Eli Roth, I guess what we talked about generally, and I think this goes into one of your points, is... Uh, this movie is like an exercise in tension building and the movie cuts away as soon as there's nothing building tension anymore. But really, it's so close to potentially being something right. deeper or thought-provoking that it, it feels like... It, it, it's, it's, it's almost a, a letdown because it almost reaches that mark. Whereas you watch something like, say, Friday the 13th and, and, and those movies are, are just like are just blunt and purposeful in what they're doing. They're not really trying to be much deeper than, than that. Where this almost gets to a point and then it just falls flat. Yeah, it's it's taking uh, an idea that someone might feel is neat and exploring it in terms of how much entertainment and tension you can get out of it for an experience. Yeah. Whereas what you accidentally do is brush up against thinking about the relationship of women being objectified and sexualized and... Uh, the revenge that they might take on someone versus uh, men who feel like that there's an impulse to them that they feel like it's natural to engage in and, and, and the women playing on that and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I said at the time, and I still feel like, if you had just removed a little bit from this movie of outside world influence, mm-hmm. you would just live in Keanu Reeves' house, in Keanu Reeves' head, with everything around the walls representing his headspace, and you would watch these girls in his quote-unquote head yeah gradually wrecking and ripping apart everything he cares about yeah as they grow to be a bigger and more disastrous influence and you would have visually something that feels more like artful Mm -hmm. at least to me it would yeah that's uh, that's that's what uh, what i've noticed now i've I've, I've only seen a few eli roth movies the first movie i think i saw that was his was a hostel and the first thing that i i have to say about eli roth is that no matter what I watch of his, it's it's all very surface level, uh, as as far as everything else goes. Like with with Hostel, the point of, of Hostel is oh you, you like gore and excessive amounts of it. At, at, at that, I'll give you Hostel, and it's nothing but torture and gore and blood and guts. At, at about halfway through the movie, and well, I wanna... Hostel actually does a good job at building tension too, all the way up until the torture stuff. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is I I want to since we're free to do this now, I want to stress Eli Roth is great. His movies might not always resonate with people, but Eli Roth is great. Right. And I really like horror. I mean, like we're people who enjoyed Malignant. So, <laughs> like, I I would love to, like, talk with him one day. Yes. Or discuss this some, somehow. Because I want to know, I want to know how he feels about writing that line where... He takes such interesting concepts like hostile, yes, Americans and Europeans' views on them and foreign relations and all this kind of stuff right. is there to play with because you're not playing in some safe sandbox of a story cutout yeah. that like other movies use. Like it's not just a cabin in the woods, it's not just this, it's not you know whatever. And it's just but the thing is that is the catching idea and then you play with that idea rather than explore it. But that's fun. Mhm. Or if it's not fun for you, then the movie is nothing for you. Right. So and I don't know. Like that's that's kind of where I fall with uh, Knock Knock because the tension building all the way up until the girls are revealed to be like almost crazy. Like at least that's how how, how they're playing it up until like the very end. Mm-hmm. It's 
I, I liked everything to do with the uh, tension. Everything to do with Keanu Reeves, like, doing everything he, he can to stay away from them, not just physically, but, like, to an extent emotionally. He's trying to separate himself. Mm-hmm. And all that is great. Yes, it's, 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 it's visual. And, and I, 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 I will say this about E. E. Lerout, he's, he, he's very good at visually depicting something. Yeah, it kills me. He's a great visual director. He gets the most intense performance out of Keanu Reeves I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I, There's one good sequence when he plays a bit part in Neon Demon. And I know good is is, is subjective, and, and a lot of people don't like Neon Demon. But mm-hmm. I'll say, in terms of just Keanu Reeves outbursting emotion in a way that feels like a human naturally would, mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, you think about like Neo when he has to express like big emotions in terms of like because I choose to and defeating agent Smith and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And he seems to kind of just have a stapled determined fate look on his face. Mm-hmm. When he goes on that tirade about, you're going to kill me. Like you're going to kill me <laughs> for this. Like the, the absolute incredulity. Yeah. And just like so much that he, he just feels I, 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 like I, nobody else gets him to act that reactive and natural. No. See, it's interesting because I'm, I, again, I'm going to try and talk objectively. Yeah. There are constantly clocks put on this movie. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it's a movie that literally would planned in advance to know that, you know, the premise of the movie. Yeah. So as soon as the girls arrive and he's just talked to they, like, they went out of their way to show him being a dad and, and doing all this kind of stuff so that, you know, you're dreading and also anticipating that he's going to have sex with these two mm-hmm. women's. And he, he says no, and he says no, and he says no, and he says no, and you're just like, oh my gosh, and there's an actual car out there, and all they have to do is walk outside of the car waiting for them, and leave. And it just, he just barely goes through with it. Barely. Like, it's like, you're just like, no, just, just do the right thing. It, 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 almost, fe- it, it, it almost feels like cheating, because they essentially force themselves on him. He's... Mm. I don't, I, 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 yes and no. I think that's, that's the dynamic that they could have explored that they didn't. This movie builds it up to make it seem like what they're, what they are doing is pointing out that he's a failure for saying yes. Yeah. But then the movie at the same time is pointing out that they're a failure for putting him in a position where it's him being a failure for saying less. Yes. So it's, it doesn't, it's clashing with itself constantly in that regard. The thing is you know bad things are going to happen if he sleeps with them. Yeah. So you don't want it to happen, but you also low-key do want it to happen. <laughs> so it's just emotions until it happens. Yeah. Then once it happens, you're like, okay, now what are they going to do? So and, 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 and... But you want to know what they're going to do. And you're just never let in the know, I guess. N- not quite. So there's that question constantly of you want an answer to this question. And they gradually give you little different answers. They build up the uh, sex video. Yes. They build up uh, that they're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. They, there's a friend that comes to the door that possibly could get it. Like So there's constantly little things that's like, okay, well, maybe their goal is blackmail. So they're trying to set up this video. So we're going to see where it goes. Like... To me, the tension is constantly, you don't know what's going to happen. And at some point he needs to get his work done. At some point, his family's going to come home. At some point, mm-hmm. the neighbor's going to tell someone about something. There's a neighbor who thinks he's cheating on his wife. I mean, he did. I mean, but, I mean know, he whatever. did. Yeah. And, and she goes away. And there's just clock after clock after clock after clock. And then they literally put a clock in front of him. 
and say, it's 6 a.m., we're going to kill you. And literally, from the moment where they point out that they're not going to kill him Mm -hmm. to the end of the movie is like less than five minutes. Not even. Yeah, no, it's... it's... It's one scene... Of him desperately trying to delete a video, which is another extremely tense moment. Uh-huh. And him accidentally liking his own video. <laughs> not his own video. It's on his account. It's not his. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, They're everyone just... is on there like, how awful. This is horrible. You suck. I can't believe this. And like... he likes it. <laughs> it's the worst. And then, so it, it's, it's dread. Yeah. But then all you get is one tiny little scene of the parent and kids reaction when they walk through the front door and see all the destruction yeah and that's it they're not they're not letting you live in the world after they're gone and things are calm and things you know uh, no something could go wrong at any second but there are things like i don't remember if they set up that there's actually a gun in the pot that he's trying to knock down uh they don't set up that there's a gun in there but it, it, it's very clear that he wants to knock that pot down for some reason it's never clear until it happens see that's one of those things if you had just had the wife when they're leaving say like, you know, you know the the earlier in the movie the he's he's making a joke with his kid. It's like, did you pack this weapon and this weapon? You didn't pack the chainsaw. What are you gonna do if you're not safe to pack the chainsaw? Well, the kid was like, I got the gun. And there's like a slight tense moment where he's like, you're not supposed to have this. Where did you get this? And he's like, yeah, it's a bad place. <laughs> and he goes and he hides it in a safe place. But here's my thing. I, I, I have a guess at what I think happened there. Okay. I think maybe they did do something similar to that in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. And then somebody went, no, we reveal later that they were spying on him at the time so they would know where the gun was. Mm. So I'm guessing that maybe got lost in translation. But if you set up that a gun was there, you would continue to increase the tension on it. But it's like, it's not like it needs any more tension than it already has. No. Anyways. Tension release. That's jokingly the whole exercise here. Yes. <laughs> and in and, and, and that aspect, I, I think it's safe to say that Eli Roth, like, nailed it. Like, as yeah. far as, like, tension. And, nailed and, and, it. And, oh, gosh. All these double up. Dracula. Guys, this is, like, the second time I've watched, watched this movie. Is it the music? Is that from the Nutcracker or... Or Swan Lake, or what is the... Oh, God, it's... I can't exactly remember. I want to... I, th- I think it's Swan Lake. I think it's Swan Lake. I, I do remember, like, watching a special feature saying something like that. You, you, you know what's really weird about Dracula? It is. The, sw- the swan theme from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Okay. So, you know what's really weird about Dracula? This iconic horror film for, for, for the ages? Nothing scary at all happens on screen at any given point in this movie. It's all... It's all given through lighting and shadows and uh, dialogue. You you don't see the bite marks on the neck in in the in the American one. You you see them in the Spanish version, but not in the American version. You don't see Dracula kill anyone, especially on on the ship. It's he wakes up and then it cuts to the next day, and you see shadows of the crew members and specifically the captain tied to the uh, steering wheel, and you get descriptions of how blood is everywhere. And then the last thing you see, which is what you're gonna bring up, <laughs> is, is is Renfield laughing <laughs> in the cellar. So that so yeah, that, so that's a creepy and, and, and unsettling thing. I, I I wouldn't particularly call it scary. I I'd say unsettling, but you could well, say that's what's scary. I was gonna say, what is scary if you're not 
unnerved or scared by the image you're looking at. And it's not just that he's making the noise he's making. He's literally locked his arms on hand railings and is staring up straight down the barrel of the camera at you, <laughs> laughing at you. <clears throat> What's the guy's name again? Renfield. Oh, 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 sorry, Dwight Fry. Dwight Fry is also the only one who we know creep towards a woman who was asleep preparing to bite her. Yeah. That is the other unnerving image in this. Like, that. I mean, set, there's so much more to the set design and decoration and everything like that. Oh, entirely. Uh, I low-key want people to point out here, this is a wild side tangent, so I'm going to keep it as brief as possible. Count Dooku and Count Dracula. The digital set design of Attack of the Clones closely matches, especially the hangar, the set design of... The the cape? Uh, no, the the castle. Okay. The hangar in the castle, the cape in the cape. Um, the actor that they chose to play Count Dooku, Christopher Lee, played Dracula in Hammer Horror Films. Mm-hmm. I really think that there was a big thread in Attack of the Clones where Count Dooku is supposed to be a, uh, a Dracula-inspired character. Okay. And so, like, on, on, on top of just, just like, the, 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 the fear coming from just, just, like, dialogue and description and, 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 and shadows and, Fret, uh, sorry, not Fritz, uh, sorry, uh, Renfield, like, giving, like, the creepiest performance throughout the entire movie. Like, nothing is really going on. It's, it's, it's kind of like a by-the-books, uh, almost an adventure story, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you have a person going to an, an an unknown land, and then Dracula, who finishes buying the house there, he then adventures off to uh, England, where he then goes through his whole tangent there. It 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 almost feels like it like 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 an exploration kind of adventure type of story. But like one thing I I I, I did notice about uh, about Dracula and like the way that he's performing the actual character, it makes me think back to. Uh, uh, the Exorcist three, where 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 you have Brad Dorf playing the demon, and you you, you know how, how how Brad Dorf delivers his his dialogue. It's very slow and very methodical. I get that same sense from Dracula when he speaks, especially at the very beginning when he's talking to uh, Ren uh, Renfield. It's very slow. He's making he, he's making sure he's picking his his words right, and it's it's in that scene where you get some of his iconic lines like uh, "I am Dracula." And it's it's very consistent throughout the entire movie. Even when when he meets Van Helsing, who plays the doctor that gets killed in Frankenstein, uh, it's he's still like very slow. The only time like his attitude change, change, changes or his uh, or he speeds up in 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 his uh, vocal patterns, I guess, is is when he feels threatened. And that's just when Van Helsing reveals that he knows who he is. Yeah, everything feels like it's about ambience. Yeah, and and just about. I like what you're saying. There's a thing you said earlier about Frankenstein about his lack of mobility and a lack of life mm-hmm. that gradually gets bigger. That you think of the characters that are all speaking at a pace you would expect, and then there's the one who speaks slow. There's like there's like a speed with life correlation going on. Okay. And um, because this definitely is about life, death, and undeath. Yeah. Um, you could say this is the original zombie. Anyway, Frankenstein is the original zombie. What are you talking about? If you're, if you're gonna <laughs> the undead, the living dead, yes. Um, but yeah, the, this one 
haunting, I think, is the adjective that it aims for. Yeah. That there's something following someone. The characters are being followed by him. He is preying on victims. <clears throat> that he is trying to weaken them and make them afraid. If you think of every other kind of haunting story that you hear, any possession movie tells you, it's like, oh, the people who are in the weak state of mind or are sick are vulnerable to possession. Um, so it's ambience haunting it's not so much about the violence mm -hmm. like you'd have in the 90s dracula yeah where he literally stabs a cross and it sprays blood like it's the evil dead you have probably possibly because of the haze code mm -hmm. but we looked that up i don't think it was being enforced very strong until a couple years after this mm -hmm. um but you know it just there's a quality to it. They're not going to make a movie that has that much silence in it or slowness in it. Not not nowadays, no. Yeah. I mean, they could. No, but you know it, what I'm it's saying? they yeah. wouldn't. But but it, it's 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 definitely that 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 kind of at uh, that that atmosphere and and specifically Bela Lugosi as, as a Dracula that they kind of like oddly enough co co that coincidentally gets kind of, that kind of draws me back to that movie every time his his performance itself is kind of hypnotic in a way. Another thing, Frankenstein and Dracula. They reflect light into both of their eyes. Uh, for Frankenstein, it's to make the face light up like it's being filled with life. Mm -hmm. With Dracula, it's a hypnotic thing. Yes. it's They, they, they do a shining thing. They put light over his eyes yes. in order to make him... Yeah, yeah it, it reminded me of like the femme fatale. Lighting you see in like like uh like the uh, Morticia like a, Adams. Yes. Like, yeah, it's 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 it, 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 it like... Which fits well for Dracula. It's 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 a seductive glare, and that's kind of like yeah. Dracula. You want to move move on to Spider Man two point one? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I did mention Evil Dead, and I, I Sam Raimi, you know, was doing this thing, and I've had a I've had a problem ever since the Spider Man No Way Home trailer came out, and it's that Doctor Octopus is going to be a bad guy. And and it was reinforced by rewatching the movie. Okay. You know, there's, it's not so heavily explored, but for one, all right, just like a couple of brief points. Spider Man, the bank robbing sequence is probably the most true to the Steve Ditko comics copy and paste imagery of any Spider Man movie to date. Okay. <clears throat> it's like there's a bad guy he rips the vault door off of something and there's bags of just gold coins sitting there and he flings one at spider-man and he goes here's your change and he flings it back at him it's not very re it's not realistic but it fits the world incredibly well well i mean that's 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 objective that, that's true but 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 i'm saying that's almost like panel for panel line for line something you would read out of a steve ditko comic book from like the early early days of spider-man mm -hmm. And, um, so there's a certain element to it that is trying to keep you, but those, they always, the thing about these movies is the relationships are so strong between the characters, mm. like strong in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, Harry and Peter. Yeah. Harry was, we saw Harry standing there for, or Peter standing there for Harry's father's death. We know Harry thinks Spider-Man killed his father. So we actually see Harry and Peter have scenes where they go back and forth on Harry feeling like Peter is betraying his allegiance to him by taking pictures of Spider-Man for the bugle and not helping him find him. But we have the honesty of him still being there for his birthday and wanting to help him uh, be with Mary Jane. Yeah. And like wanting to support 
Peter having success and the things that he needs. He brings him along to meet Octavius because he needs help with his paper. He's doing all this in the background. Their relationship is live and at play in the background of a movie that is very simply Spider-Man versus Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And there's just a subplot of Spider-Man wants to be with Mary Jane. And it's just... When you scale down to mini subplots, the thing gets more and more complicated. Like, Spider-Man loses his powers, wants to give up, and comes back. Spider-Man and Harry, Spider-Man and Aunt May, and these responsibilities. And, like, you can, you can scale it and make it seem more complex. But then the story's thrust is when he's focused on Mary Jane or when he's focused on Dr. Octopus. And the thing that's pulling in between the two is him losing his powers. Yeah. But another one of these really strong relationships is Dr. Octopus. Oh, yeah. Dr. Octopus is the one who starts Peter like a mentor on his journey towards what's going to help him balance Spider-Man and Mary Jane. Okay. And there's his relationship with his wife. And then there's the fact that a consequence of the work that he does is he accidentally kills his wife. And he can't live with that. And these things take over his brain and he's partially insane because if he were to accept that he killed his uh, wife for something that wasn't worthwhile, like he'd have to accept that about himself versus like, well, if the work that I did was worth it, then she didn't die in vain because of my error. It's that, that, that moment of all the characters interaction. It's technically Aunt May who clocks Dr. Octopus in the back of the head, and then Aunt May relays the advice that makes Dr. Octopus give up the thing that he wants the most, even his dreams. So Dr. Octopus has a relationship with Aunt May without them barely interacting. (laughs) Like, it's such strong relationships between the characters. And you're going to put that in a movie where basically the characters all just make dick jokes at each other. You know... Uh, penis parker like i i i really 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 like far from home and homecoming yeah and i'm not like just like oh these movies better or anything like that there's definitely its own problems in this movie the cgi is dated there's a bunch of other things that like pop out about it but if you take this story and end it because dr octopus desperately doesn't want to die a monster like, if you think of what's going on with that character just based on what factually happens in the movie in those last seconds, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he accepts that he needs to let go of his dream, accepts the fact that he's responsible for his wife, but then in that last brief second, feels like he's a monster and doesn't want to die a monster and then dies. It's yeah. that's That's horrific and complex in its own way. Yeah. For him to just come back to life... And, well, the the arms are just making him evil again. And he comes back and he wants to fight some Spider-Man he doesn't know. The the whole motivation and, and connection with the character is lost at that point. For me. Yeah. And I, I think if he comes back and he's like, hello, Peter, and doesn't deal with the fact that for the entire movie he's already been in, Peter Parker and Spider-Man were two different people. And when he realized they were one person, that's what put him on track to confusion, to not being just eat like being bad yeah interacting with peter should mean something interacting with peter should be complicated and hold him accountable and for this movie to just go up and be like hello peter evil doc ock is here and the whole world to lose their mind it feels thoughtless okay and it really bothers me and i'm really hoping that the movie i should trust that the movie is going to do more than that because they delivered on mysterio in a big way for me as a fan okay 
But for some reason, I'll actually, I'll tell you exactly the reason. Avi Arad. The producer has been in charge of media uh, representations of Spider-Man all the way back since the 90s cartoon. He was the one who recognized that Venom got famous and asked for Venom to be in Spider-Man 3. He was the one who pushed away from them being the Vulture and said that people's contracts are ending so you need to uh, do something to resolve Harry Osborn's plotline in the third one as well. Um, he's the one who was still involved in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. And there's he you can see him walking, if you look this up, with um mark webb the director of those two yeah talking about the sinister six or something like that is going to be great they're going to build up something great and him not liking it and so that third that second amazing spider-man movie trying to shove green goblin electro and then references to their own doc ock and vulture and everything in one movie is partially i'm just going to use him even if it's not him personally it's the executives in charge of what goes into these movies okay wanting to do a sinister six movie then what happens they get success with a multiverse movie well great that happens to line up perfectly because dr strange and marvel are starting to do their own multiverse so now everyone who has constantly been served up and rejecting spider-man 3 amazing spider-man 1 amazing spider-man 2 even harder than anything else is now suddenly like well and let me put it this way even the multiverse movie hmm. the bad guy was kingpin and doc ock showed up as a side thing okay yeah it was still very simple yeah now people are like you're gonna have this in it you're gonna have all these villains in it that's gonna be so crazy and good spider-man 3 that's what i'm saying i like, know how is everyone i'm agreeing with you by saying spider-man 3 yeah how is everybody reacting positively to this I don't understand it. I understand that people are excited about the return of the other two actors, but they're not getting their own movie. So what are you excited about? Do you actually like their movies or are you like, that's going to feel good to see their faces for a bit? I, it, 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 it's going back to the whole um, nostalgia and, and companies playing off that. I think that that's part of it. They're playing, they're playing off their nostalgia for like Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin because he's back in it too. Yeah. So it, it, it's... Remember these characters that you like from these first two 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 movies? Well, they're gonna be in this one, but we don't know that because we don't know the actual story yet. We know those two are specifically in it. That's we know we're in it, but we don't know in what capacity. So I could be wrong. I could it could be <clears throat> that what you have is Green Goblin wants revenge for being killed by Spider Man for however he comes out. I mean, great. So Green Goblin being in charge of noticing other people want to kill Spider Man. I'm on board with that. Yeah. So if he meets Jamie Foxx's Electra, who also irrationally wanted to kill Spider-Man. Great. I can see them teaming up. Doc Ock's the only, like, like cog in the wrench. Re- re- uh, wrench in the cogs, I think, with that. Well, I, everyone else other than those two. Everyone that people are trying to claim is going to come back. Like, oh, the lizard? Didn't the lizard have his own, like, 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 like farewell send-off in a good way towards Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man as well? Yes. So... So he's resolved and didn't die, and he was just in jail. Then you have the Vulture, who kept Spider-Man's identity a secret on purpose, and, you know. Yeah. Okay, so you got maybe Scorpion and Shocker, and Green Goblin and Electro. Yeah, that's four. It's still too many. It's four, personal opinion. But, but if you're going to do a Sinister Six, you're missing two. Well, yeah. And nobody has any motivation to actually be against Spider-Man. And so you already have this, what I do know about this movie, is you start in a place of them being an entirely different story. Spider-Man's identity is exposed, his life is disrupted. 
Then you're just going to hit a huge pause button on that story and throw it away. By having Doctor Strange change the multiverse. But changing the multiverse is going to cause problems. Yeah. So here's pos- in a positive way. Maybe the movie is actually about responsibility and identity. Which is core to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's about... All of these people are the problems that result from Spider-Man being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And you take a different take on some of the same themes that were in the first three Spider-Man movies. Okay. But already, like, you just have to balance so many things in order for that to be the point. Yeah. I just, I, I can't see any way where this isn't just going to be a movie that is going to have action set pieces on par with Infinity War. And that's how frequently it's going to happen. Okay. And it is supposed to be a very long movie. Okay. <clears throat> so you're just going to just think Infinity War if every villain was as important as Thanos. Like you're talking about Proxima Midnight, Corvius Glaive. No, they, they're, 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 they're very small time characters that do their job well enough and have enough characterization to keep, to keep you invested. But to have them, but to have like, to have their roles to be as important as Thanos' role and it showcased that way, it'd make the movie a giant mess. Yeah. And then if Andrew Garfield and and uh, Tobey Maguire do show up, they're not going to have any bigger role than Captain America did in Infinity War. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I just I I when if people are excited about this, then Sony in particular is going to be like, this is what people will pay for. This is what people will pay for. This is what people will pay for. And that's what you're going to get. And if you're not careful and thoughtful about what it is you want, I mean. You're just going to have to wait a decade for them to realize that they, your reaction didn't really mean what they thought it meant and all this kind of crap. So, Speaking of being careful and thoughtful, I think it's time to do the gauntlet. Oh, motherfucker. That's right. Well, you know what? I have to do this about Spider-Man too. so. Woo! That being said, Eric, for Spider-Man 2.1, is this movie good or bad? 2.1 is different from Spider-Man in a few ways they add a couple of jokes uh that weren't in the original and a few dynamics like introducing the police scanner before spider-man 3 and ultimately i think if someone were to watch this movie if they enjoy the vibes of steve ditko's spider-man they would be happy they watched it think that passes You you just went you so you you just got done going through a whole lot of scenes in this movie. Which was your favorite scene? It's the train scene. <laughs> it's the train scene. It's the train scene where Tobey Maguire has to. He makes the most ridiculous faces in 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 these movies. But in particular, he, on the train scene, he's he's trying to pull on a bunch of buildings and and keep a train from falling over an edge. Hmm. And when he succeeds in stopping it, yeah. It's that moment which is all over the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies where a bunch of extras playing New Yorkers interact with him and agree to keep his identity secret. Yeah. It's just... There are big things Spider-Man has to do and a lot of punches he has to throw and a lot of complicated, cool web-swinging he has to do. But I don't see in a lot of superhero movies examples... Can you think of that one thing that that superhero has done that was his big super heroic moment? In recent memory? Superman showed you, that, like, like flu. Yeah. That was a big deal with the first Superman. He can fly. And he reversed right. time. Oh, so that superhero moment. Okay. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I think 
the last one I really saw that one in was probably Iron Man. Maybe I can't think, but it, it's been a while. Uh, the tank. Yeah, yeah, the tank. Like, like specifically the scene where where Iron Man goes to Gaza and saves a village solo. Yeah, again, it's a yeah. That so that sequence all around like I'm going to take my weapons away from these people. Yeah, that's 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 pretty pretty close to a good one. Okay, it's not it's not as solid or clear. No, that's that's why I'm saying I think one. that one. But yeah, I, I don't think it. I, I've seen that scene in a while. Yeah. So trying to get objective here. Uh, suck. What sucked about the movie? I actually did say earlier that I was going to say there were some things that were not uh, holding up as well age wise. I said I was going to say that. So what I will say now is that I noticed while watching the movie. What you notice while watching the movie? More about S- Spider-Man's webbing. Mm-hmm. Appears white and shiny when he's the CGI creation. Okay. Oh, all right. And I think whatever digital noise they made to look at made that stand out. And that makes him really noticeably different. Yeah. So I, it's hard to mesh that they're the same character to me. Yeah. Nah, that's... I can't just add to me. No. Now, rank the actors from best to worst. Who's best and who's worst? <laughs> ah, Alfred Molina followed closely, even though I don't want to talk about this person or really give him credit, by James Franco, then Aunt May, then Tobey Maguire, then Kirsten Dunst. Okay. And actually... Yeah, and then right under Kirsten Dunst is like um the the actors, the doctors who get wrecked mm-hmm. by Dr. Octopus's arms. Oh god. In a, a scene that very direct directly multiple times references the evil dead with both with a chainsaw being grabbed and with the way they use a steady cam for some of the bits of that. Mm-hmm. And um then all the other extras, like the lady who goes yells, "Go Spidey, go!" and like all these g- little crowds of extras that you don't really think about when you're watching the first movie. You're just kind of like <coughs> New Yorkers reacting. But then you realize, no, wait, this was a closed off set filmed in California. Every single person who's there was handpicked mm-hmm. and are all acting like New Yorkers. So what, what is your favorite quote from this movie? This is a very specific one. I think I know what it is. <sighs> there's a hero in all of us. I believe there's a hero in all of us. It keeps us steady. makes us choose right from wrong yeah um and sometimes in order to be a hero we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most even our dreams fantastic quote by the way i don't get you're not in the gauntlet (laughs) no okay so so uh not for real what what did you like about the movie (laughs) so (laughs) i believe that if you listen to my commentary from before i was in the gauntlet you will find the answer to my question that's cheating we didn't say it was cheating. I had to do the gauntlet before this, so. So then I will state that I said earlier that the relationships are very strong in this movie. But up bum Did you learn anything from the story, specifically? That there's a hero in all of us, and <laughs> in order to be right, you have to be steady. You can what you want the most, even in your dreams. So, no, um, it does. They do like they do in this story. Pick a theme, like an idea, a central thematic idea, and seem to build a story around it. Okay. 
<coughs> and so I think a, a good takeaway from this movie, damn it, <laughs> is that you have to find a good balance between your responsibilities and know your limits. Uh, did you learn anything new about movies from watching this? Yeah, watching this over several years. Yes, I did. I learned that um, if the characters, if the, if the reasons your characters are motivated to do what they do feels real, then the story will have a large emotional impact. What would make you come back to watch this movie again? I will watch this movie again to see how it would lead directly into No Way Home. Okay. And how those two movies feel one after the other. That is, uh, that is objective, so yeah. Now, finally, the big question. Would Nicolas Cage have made this movie better? In which role? That's what I was... That, that's, that's kind of what I would ask. To be honest, there are so many roles that he could play in very different ways. But either way. I believe that Nicolas Cage's ability to be an asset to this movie would be dependent on which character he played. Okay. Okay, we're done. I think that, I think we're I done. I made it. I got out. You got out of the gauntlet. Look at that. Dude, if Nicolas Cage were Aunt May <laughs> or Mary Jane, way better. If Nicolas Cage were <laughs> Spider-Man, probably about the same because Tobey Maguire hams it up in a way I don't think people really see a lot. But the only role where I don't think he would do as good of a job would be Dr. Octopus. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Because I think he would take it as an opportunity to be campy. Yeah. And I think the characters can't be enough on its own <coughs> that it works because he was played straight. Okay. Harry Osborn would be a pretty good one, too. And, like, right at the end, you tease that he's going to be the new goblin. And he'd, like, look at the mask and be like, oh, cool. <laughs> <He'd be> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But, yeah, I think that does it. Yeah, that's for about this, all. For this episode of This Film Not Rated, thank you, everyone, for... Uh, coming to listen to us ramble about the movies that we have watched this week. Uh, do you want to sign sign off on this one? Yeah, I'm Eric. You can meet, look me up at High Contrast FLM or on the MusicCityDriveIn.com. I'm Curtis. You can follow me at 90sGamer407 or you can watch me from time to time on Twitch at Merrick underscore Remember, we are a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, so if you want to hear more from other people who have other things to say about other things, then you can go to MusicCityDriveIn.com and see them as well. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you.